Here at WGN Radio, we're celebrating 60 years of Orion Samuelson. As a young man, Orion Samuelson decided on a career in broadcasting. In 1960, Orion joined WGN Radio, starting what would become one of the longest runs in broadcasting history. I thought I'd stay five years and get WGN on my resume and then move back to Wisconsin. At the end of 2020, Orion will at long last begin that retirement he has so richly earned. Orion. You are WGN, and you will always be WGN. Congratulations, Orion, on 60 years of excellent service to the WGN family. Congratulations, Orion Samuelson, from CME Group, on a marvelous career in broadcasting and agribusiness. For decades, your voice has been steady at the helm, informing business owners and farmers about important developments and how they can use CME Group products to manage risk. Thank you, Big O, for the past 60 years. Good morning and welcome to the Saturday Morning Show. It's nine minutes after five o'clock. Temperature on my backyard thermometer right now is standing at 37 degrees. There are a few sprinkles of rain, no snow yet, but it looks like it could turn out to be a rather wintry weekend before it's all over. But here on the Saturday Morning Show, as we get ready to wrap up the weekend of the year, we're going to be uh, doing some interesting things, thanks to Max Armstrong, because uh, with the announcement of my retirement, Max has uh, the last two or three Saturdays talked to people that were part of my team for the 60 years, Not quite for uh, quite a few of the people, but uh, he has surprised me with people that he has talked to about what I've been doing for the 60 years here on WGN Radio, and I'm looking forward to hearing uh, his guest coming up in just a couple of minutes here this morning. But let me, uh, because I've made it a habit now to uh, give you the COVID-19 numbers as I start the Saturday morning show. So let me give you the numbers that we're looking at because the coronavirus deaths rose by at least 2,992 yesterday to a total of 295,000 versus uh, 292,000 the previous day. So uh, the count continues to go up. And uh, we continue to fight the situation. But then let me give you the good news, which you've been hearing this morning. But a little more detail that, uh, that I have received here on Reuters. The United States said it authorized the use of Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine yesterday with the first inoculations expected within days, marking a turning point in a country where the pandemic has killed, as you just heard, more than 295,000 people. But the U.S. Food and Drug Administration granted an emergency youth use authorization for the vaccine developed with the German partner BioNTech, which was shown to be 95% effective in preventing the disease in a late-stage trial. And it said the vaccine can be given to people 
who are 16 years old or older, health care workers and elderly people in long-term care facilities are expected to be the main recipients of a first round of 2.9 million doses this month. The BioNTech chief executive said the vaccine, quote, will help to save lives across the United States and could accelerate a return to normality. I keep wondering what the new normal is going to be like, but U.S. health authorities, shipping services, hospitals, pharmacies have been readying a nationwide inoculation campaign, and Pfizer said it would start shipping immediately, and state public health systems have been planning to begin shots as early as Monday. The government plans to accelerate vaccinations in the coming weeks and months, especially if a second vaccine from Moderna is quickly approved. An advisory group to the U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention will meet today to make crucial recommendations about whether some groups, such as pregnant women, and 16-year-olds should be immunized. The authorization comes as cases are surging here in the United States, and one spokesman said uh, from John Hopkins Hospital said this is one step in a sequence of steps that will bring this pandemic to an end. He added, a lot of people will be infected, a lot will be hospitalized, and a lot will die before the vaccine is able to have a meaningful impact on the spread. And the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine was first approved in Britain earlier this month. UK residents began receiving the shots on Tuesday. Canada also authorized vaccine and expects to start inoculations next week. And Mexico and Saudi Arabia have also approved the Pfizer vaccine. So that's the positive news. And uh, I'm old enough to remember the uh, polio epidemic we had back in the mid-1950s. When you didn't dare go anywhere, you didn't dare touch anybody, and you had to be very careful what food you consumed. And then uh, it took about a year and a half to two years to uh, wait till we got, till Dr. Jonas Salk showed up with the polio vaccine, and it changed life considerably for the better because uh, polio was a deadly disease, killing people. But the other uh, aspect of the polio epidemic was it crippled people. And I went to high school with kids who were crippled by the polio situation for a lifetime. And uh, those who ended up spending their lifetime in an iron lung. So... We have gone through this before, but uh, when it finally got to uh, the vaccine, things changed rather quickly. So we'll hope that that is the case. Max Armstrong, I spent some time with Max yesterday as we prepared our television show for the Christmas season. 
went to uh, Sugar uh, Sugar Grove to uh, do that uh, to the home of one of our pilots, and uh, the television crew showed up to uh, do the Christmas show for the uh, This Week in Agriculture show that Max and I do together. And uh, no COVID-19 in our crew, which was good, but Max Armstrong lifted something that he shouldn't have recently to the extent that he's going to have some surgery to correct a problem in his shoulder. So uh, he has that, I guess, to look forward to because he said he would uh, have his arm in a sling for a couple of weeks and then should should be back to normal. But he can still talk, and uh, he did that this week, and he did that yesterday, and uh, I'm looking forward to hearing his conversation because it involves a very close friend, and we'll get to Max and his visit when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. It is 20 minutes after 5 o'clock here on the Saturday Morning Show, and right now, let's say good morning to Max Armstrong and his guest that I'm Well, Oriana, we're enjoying to. visiting with some folks uh, who have worked very closely with you through your career. And this lady was there before I arrived on the scene, and I guess, uh, well, I think she was called a secretary back in the day, but she wore so many hats, including that of producer and associate. Lottie Kearns, welcome into the Saturday Morning Show on WGN Radio. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. How have you been, Lots? Oh, I've been just great. I'm happy to hear that uh, Orion is going to be retiring and just doing his own thing for a change. You helped us in so many ways, but um, among those ways, you have handled our travel itinerary and booked flights. And for Orion, back in those days, booking travel, that was a big job, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Well, you know, it wasn't really, really big because we worked with a travel agent, and I would just call the travel agent and say, this is the flight he needs to take, and he needs to do this or that, and and then they put it all together for me, so that worked out fine for me. But you had to make sure that he wasn't double booked somewhere along the way. For example, you worked closely with speakers bureaus and and with our television team and and the radio team as well. You had to coordinate that schedule rather closely. Yes, I was was very good at scheduling everything. (laughs) Now, you traveled on remote broadcast. Tell us what that was like when we took the noon show out into the field. Yeah, each you know, before I left, I would make sure I had everything all together as far as what commercials had to be broadcast at what time and when you could speak and when that you couldn't speak and and so I made sure I had everything done before we went on remote broadcast and then I would use my little hand signals to tell you when to be on the air, when not to be on the air and it was it was a fun job. It was a dream job. It was a lot of coordination because you had to work with the engineer out on the site. And and quite often that would be a farm progress show site, a farm field in the middle of nowhere. Yes. But it was, you know, everything was always a lot of fun. And I enjoyed meeting all of our listeners and our viewers and everyone who would come up to me and talk to me and ask me about you and about Orion and 
It, it was just great. They even sometimes asked me for my autograph, which I, said, I don't know. I said, I'm not the personality. Orion and Max are the personalities, but they insisted, so it was fun. Well, you know, everybody talked about you on the air. Bob Collins would talk about you. Roy Leonard would mention you sometimes when you'd bring something into the studio. And I've used this term a couple of times when describing WGN back in the days, but it really was the WGN family, wasn't it? Yes, it was. It, it truly was a family. I mean, what other family has a reunion every year to get together with all the old employees and everything? Yeah, think There's about no that. There's no other company in the world that does that. We would get in those days, and, and I guess it, it seems so strange these days when there really isn't much that comes in the mail for many of us because so much of our communication is electronically, but the mail coming into our office was, was rather remarkable. In fact, the whole load into the station, there was so much mail, but we got our share, didn't we? Yes, we certainly did. And the thing that was nice about our department is we answered everybody's mail. Every listener, every viewer, we answered everybody. That was a job. There was a lot of correspondence. You handled a lot for Orion, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. Do you remember how pieces of mail would come into our office and people would struggle in spelling Orion's name? <laughs> and sometimes... Yes. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it would be uh, Arlon or Oreo or Orlon. Yeah, I mean, it was just, it was uh, distorted in all different ways, it seemed. Right. I think Orin was the was the most popular. <laughs> That's right. You got to work with a lot of great engineers and producers. And uh, I, I made this comment the other day that I think I was treated so well by the people behind the scenes because they admired and got along so well with Orion. Didn't you feel that, too? Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, there was kind of a trickle-down effect, I think, uh, when I arrived on the scene. And you had worked with somebody else as farm broadcasters before I got there. Uh, both, uh, uh, well, Bill Mason, right before I arrived on the scene, and then John Omberg. John Omberg was in the studio with me, uh, giving me a, a check ride uh, the first day and a half I was there, because Orion left town, didn't he? Don't you remember that? I was, you oh, know, yes, I, I was remember with him. that. Yeah. I had to walk John, <laughs> John Omberg through every step on the phone, because I was in Springfield, Illinois, doing the Illinois State Fair, and Orion had to leave. And so I had John Omberg on one phone, and I had my headset on the other ear, and I was trying to tell him, this is what you have to do. This is what you <laughs> It was just, it was, it, it came off without a hitch. It did. Because, a, he was such a professional. Yeah. He just did. He knew what to do. John had been there many years before, uh, before Bill Mason arrived on the scene. And then I succeeded Bill in uh, the fall of 1977. And the fun thing, too, that we haven't talked about too much was the opportunity to work on the syndicated television show. And that was a whole different crew, wasn't it, than, than the, uh, the ones we worked with on the radio side? Yeah, they were fun. I always made sure that I, that I was in the, in the scene in the background somewhere. <laughs> Okay, make sure I'm I'm walking behind you or make make sure I'm doing something, you know. That's right. That was fun. They, they were great guys. All you guys were just great to work with. We worked long hours because, especially on Friday, we had to record the weekend show. You traveled. Did you travel out of the country also with Orion? Yes, we went to um, London for the Royal Agriculture Show. We went to Jamaica to check out all the banana fields and everything else that was going on over there. And let's see, we went to Hawaii 
checked and we did some things over there <laughs> for television. I mean, we, we did television and radio to a lot of places besides the United States. Uh, we went across Canada with you and the TV crew. That's right. Don't yeah. you feel so fortunate to have been there at a time when the industry was so vibrant and, and so vibrant because of Orion Samuelson? Yes. Oh, yes. Very fortunate. So many things have changed now. They don't do things like that anymore. That's exactly right. Well, we have so many great experiences to carry along with us through the years. And one thing I Phil Reed talked about last week was the fact there was so much going on in that building with the television and radio stations together back in that era. Because TV was right across the hall and it was a live production factory, if you will. There were a lot of uh, stars who came in. You got to meet some, as a matter of fact. Yes, yes. You know, sometimes I'd walk down the hall and, and I'd see somebody, you know, a star walking down the hall, didn't realize it until I passed them. <laughs> or I'd go in the control room and when I knew they were being interviewed, I'd go look and see what they looked like and listen to them for a few minutes. And Yeah. That was nice, too. Lottie, thanks for sharing a few memories here about Orion and his career. Yeah, I'll tell you, you know, working for Orion, working with you, it's, like I said before, it was a dream job. Well, it was for us, too, because you were there. You were so important, so close to us and everything that we did and uh, contributed so mightily to our ability to do our jobs however well we did them. So thank you, Lottie Kearns. Take care, kid. And thank you very much. Lottie Kurtz, long-time companion there at WGN Radio with us. Big O, you know so well what she meant to us and to our careers, and we'll never forget her for sure. Indeed we won't, and boy, she uh, brought up a lot of memories on where we traveled to do radio shows and where we traveled to do television shows. We had the opportunity to see the world And it's focused on the most important profession on the planet, producing food to feed people and animals. So our thanks to Max and Lottie, because uh, 34 years of working with Lottie and even longer with Max, uh, great, great opportunities for me. And I did spend time yesterday with Max and our television crew uh, putting together the uh, Christmas program. We're not doing it at a country church this uh, this winter because of the COVID-19 situation. So here's that word again. We will have a virtual presentation of our Christmas show on this week in agribusiness. Coming up on 5.30, and that means we'll take a break for news, and then we'll be back with more on the Saturday morning show. It's 25 minutes before 6 o'clock here on WGN Radio Chicago, and a little bit later I'm going to uh, share with you information on a Christmas program that we're doing in our church in Huntley, Illinois. The Shepherd of the Prairie Lutheran Church will do a Christmas program, but here's that word again, for the most part, It will be virtual, and I'll tell you how it will be virtual and where you can find it on your TV set a little bit later here on this Saturday morning show. But right now, it's time for Samuelson Says. I'm Orion, and today, talking about some groups that 
have not had an income this year because of COVID-19. Hey, Bears fans, this is Cole Wright from Marquee Sports Network, and we know you can never get quite enough of your Chicago Bears, so now through the end of the regular season, Marquee Sports Network has you covered. Watch Bear Essentials every Tuesday night at 7 o'clock sharp as you can join me along with Bears alumni Tom Thayer and Hall of Famer Dan Hampton for a weekly Bears breakdown and analysis of the week ahead. Then we're going to relive the week that was with the Bears game rewind. That's Bear Essentials, your weekly Bears coverage Tuesdays at 7 on Marquee Sports Network. Get the gift that keeps giving at Marconi Brand Foods Gold Club membership. You could receive a gift pack of recipes and treats like Marconi Jardinera delivered to your doorstep every other month. Enter to win this lose favorite things at WGNRadio.com slash contests. I have shared a lot of my personal thoughts with you for these years, and yet I have a few more I would like to share before I bring to an end a 60-year career of talking agriculture for the world, the nation, and our farmers and ranchers and consumers. First of all, I want to say thank you for the mail I'm receiving from you, and I hope you will understand that I'm not going to have time to answer the emails and letters personally. I do appreciate hearing from you, and the reason I do appreciate hearing from you is because of the suggestions you make and the questions you ask. For example, I'm getting emails now wondering if we are going to do a Christmas show from a country church this year as we have done for decades. Well, you can guess the answer. Due to COVID-19, we will not be able to go to a country church to feature one of those churches on our program. And the other subject I wanted to bring up is your letter writing. You send me so many ideas that I appreciate and have included some gifts. This week, for example, I received a nice letter from a listener who lives in McHenry, Illinois. But what was in the letter really got to me. It was a tie tack sporting a miniature slow-moving vehicle sign on it. As you know, the slow-moving vehicle emblem should only be placed on the back of slow-moving farm equipment, traveling on rural roads and highways to alert drivers behind them to slow down. And you've heard me complain about all that happens with that too often because I see those SMV emblems on mailboxes or driveway entrances. But that defeats the purpose of having the safety emblem on the farm equipment that it's meant to protect. Well, now I have my own slow-moving vehicle emblem. Thanks to one of you, it's a small emblem that goes on my necktie, but I will cherish it forever. There will be more to come in the last few weeks of this year. So be safe, be well, my thoughts on Samuelson Says. And that's a presentation of Nextar Media Group at 20 minutes before 6 o'clock here on the Saturday Morning Show. Let me share with you information on a Christmas program I'm going to be involved in later today. 
at the Shepherd of the Prairie Lutheran Church in Huntley, Illinois. The program, Christmas Reflections of Hope, Comfort, and Joy. It's a live stream concert of sacred and secular music celebrating the season from Johann Sebastian Bach to Irving Berlin. It's quite a program of music with some very talented vocalists, members of the Elgin Symphony Orchestra, and uh, it begins at 7 o'clock this evening, and it will be on television, and here are the ways that you can find it on television. You can access the concert via the church website, or via Facebook. The website is www.OneWordShepherdOfThePrairie.com and on Facebook, you can get it at Facebook.com Shepherd of the Prairie. And uh, that'll be on your TV screens at 7 o'clock tonight. I think you'll enjoy the music, everything from the Christmas song to the Irving Berlin songs to Messiah and the many other music features of this holiday season. So I'll look forward to your joining us for that this evening, 7 o'clock, and uh, have a nice time with us as we share the musical talent of a lot of great people. So that's coming up this evening, but uh, right now let's go back and look at the past week and what happened in the marketplace because we have uh, Mike Pearson and his guests ready to join us when we continue on the Saturday morning show. Christmas is WG. Well, we've got to talk the markets. And on Thursday, USDA released their December World Agricultural Supply and Demand Outlook. The December report's not usually one watched closely by the markets, but this year was a little different. To help us make sense, Jim McCormick from agmarket.net is here. And Jim, what were the highlights from this December supply and demand report? Well, I think the highlight was nothing happened. I mean, in a crazy year of 2012, Mike, which usually felt seemed like everything went weird and the unexpected happened, we got what we normally would get. We got very, very little adjustments. They raised the bean crush by 15 million bushels. They left the corn number pretty much unchanged, made a little bit of adjustments in the wheat. So in general, this was a snoozer report. I'd say they kicked the can down to January, but that is historically what they do. And it's historically what they do, but this year we were expecting something more because there has been such a lack of information due to COVID, due to all the craziness this year. How have traders responded to a ho-hum January report? Not moving soybeans, I'm guessing that's a bearish sentiment. Well, right now, it's essentially how we're kind of going into what happened in this report. The big thing was last month, the government lowered the production of the beans. They left the ex- they left demand unchanged. Our exports, we've sold 88% of what we're expected to sell. Normally, we're around 65%. So when you look at that number, you're like, man, they've got to have to raise that export number. They didn't. Not again. So I think that's going to put pressure on in January. They are going to have to raise that export number. Because the fact of the matter is, there's just no beans available. Right now, if you are a bean buyer in the world and you need beans, you got to get them from us. Because Brazil doesn't have any beans available to maybe late February, more like March. 
So that's pretty incredible, and we've definitely seen that rally take place. We've seen growers certainly taking advantage of it. Given the fact that USDA changed nothing in December, how should growers handle their soybean marketing as we get through the remainder of this season? Well, right now, I think you've got to look at your profitability. If you're profitable, I'm encouraging people to go ahead and move it. You're not seeing a big carry in the market. The basis is strong. And then use like options to reown it. I do think, and our group does believe it's worthwhile maintaining some ownership. You're looking at stocks to use right now at about 4.2%. If you raise this demand a little bit more, you get that carryout down to 150 million, you're looking at stocks use below 4%. That'd be some of the tightest stocks use we've ever had in ending stocks. Historically, when we've been this tight, you've seen beans trade in the teens, plain and simple. And that's just domestic. We've also got dryness down in Brazil and Argentina. I mean, what's your thoughts here as we get into the first quarter of 2020, 2021, right? I think the market could get very exciting, especially Argentina. Historically, La Nina years really caused problems in southern Brazil and Argentina. The government did raise the crush, but that may be partly because they're looking at Argentina's dryness. Argentina sells the products. Brazil sells the beans. So if Argentina doesn't have the beans to produce, guess what? They're not going to meal, and that demand's going to come our way. Now, we also saw the USDA raise domestic crush, and that's something that shouldn't be terribly surprising. The crush has been very strong. As you look out, do you figure that strength is going to continue even with beans priced where they are? I think you will see it right now because of the demand is out there on the export side of the equation. We are seeing demand out there, so I think that will do it. And let's talk corn. That market has also been on fire since really combines got running. Any big surprises from the USDA on corn? Well, right now, the USDA left everything unchanged, which is what we would expect. But there's some things that we're looking at down the line. The export pace is still way ahead of the five-year average, and China is still the big driver. The USDA left China demand at about 13 million metric tons. Our account is they've already bought probably close to 20 million metric tons. They add a shea, the FSA add a shea's put their demand at 22 million metric tons. And then on top of it, the private sector thinks it could be as high as 30 million metric tons. So there is some demand out there. And what's exciting is for the American producers, there's not a lot of competition. If you look our total supply right now, Mike, compared to where it was a year ago in the world, we're down about 12 million metric tons because of smaller crops in Europe. So if you need grain, corn specifically, until we get that South American crop, and more likely their second crop harvested in July, there's only one big store in town. It's the United States. But there is some competition, at least domestically, from crops like sorghum. We've seen China step in as they're trying to fill their coffers. They've bought some sorghum as well. What does that mean for the market? Well, here's what's interesting. The sorghum market's on fire. If you're a producer of sorghum, congratulations. You're making a lot of money this year. Now, I know you've had your down years. This year's definitely a payday year. But what's made it interesting is those, those ethanol plants that usually are fed by sorghum, they're switching over to corn. So our corn demand is down for the ethanol because, unfortunately, we're not driving due to the pandemic. And hopefully that gets better as we get into the second quarter, third quarter of 2021. But what's interesting, Mike, is that grain, sorghum's being replaced by corn. And that could add roughly 80, 85 million bushels annually of corn demand that you normally would not expect going to that sector. So even though our ethanol corn demand is going to be down, it's probably not going to be down as much as you feared if you just based on the annual ethanol production. All right. Well, you know, one of the markets that has certainly been trading in concert with corn and soybeans, but hasn't really had much of a story of its own, is the wheat market. We've talked dryness, but now it seems wheat's kind of catching fire. Wheat is caught a bit. Wheat was kind of just almost a laggard. It's starting to get its own story. We're dry in the United States. We're dry in Russia. This, earlier this morning, Putin's talking about food inflation. Mm-hmm. And when he starts talking about food inflation, you start wondering, is there just the next step that they're going to start trying to ration exports to try to control food prices domestically? Then on top of it, you've got China again. China's in a little political spat with 
the Australians. So they're no longer buying the Australian wheat. They're buying our white wheat. So now we're getting wheat sold to the Chinese that we normally don't sell. So you got China buying beans. You got them buying corn. You got them buying beef. It's an exciting time. This phase one deal, it took a while to kick in, but it definitely seems like uh, they're needing it. And I, I know the big question is, will they cancel it? If you look at their prices of what's going on over there, they need it. I don't see any cancellations. Maybe some token ones here or there, but in general, I think they need every bushel and every pound they're buying. Well, and speaking of pounds, one of the places we've definitely seen China on the international stage is buying protein, both pork and beef. On the beef side specifically, they've typically done a lot of business with Australia. Sounds yes. like that door is shut. Is that business going to come to us? I think it will. some of it will come to us. We do continue to sell beef, but we do have some competition in South America. They will sell it to them a little bit cheaper. But it's the same story, though. If South America is ramping up their beef production to meet that Chinese demand, guess what? They don't have as much feed grains to sell to the international market. So it all comes full circle. So if the Chinese are buying their beef, that might force some buyers of Brazilian beans and corn to come to the United States because the supplies are tightening. They are, and similar to pork, do you see that rallying into the first quarter of 2021? Well, the pork right now, I think, is going to struggle a little bit at this point in time. The big thing with pork is we're just trying to see how quick China can rebuild their stocks. But overall, I think you've got to be optimistic going to 2021 as we get through these shots, the demand's there. It is 37 degrees on my thermometer in Huntley, Illinois, and we're at about five minutes before six o'clock news time. And probably for agriculture, one of the bigger stories this week was the selection of the Secretary of Agriculture by President-elect Joe Biden. The president-elect has promised to address racial inequality in agriculture, but it's not going to be a slam dunk on the approval of the man who is going to be the new secretary. As a matter of fact, it's history as far as I'm concerned, because I cannot remember a time that I've been covering agriculture secretaries where we've had a secretary of agriculture serve in that post twice. But Tom Vilsack is the selection for the secretary of agriculture by president-elect Joe Biden. And he's had a lot of experience because he was in politics in Iowa, served as a governor for two terms, state of Iowa. And he also served as Secretary of Agriculture under President Barack Obama. But his likely his return to the position comes at a time of racial reckoning in the United States. Black voters won't soon forget they helped deliver Biden's victory, but they're not sure that uh, the Secretary of Agriculture, Tom Vilsack, is going to help that community. So uh, that's something to watch when the Congress comes back into session early in the new year to approve the the, uh, people who are serving in the cabinet of President-elect Biden going to be an interesting time to watch that situation take place. And so uh, don't assume it's going to happen quickly and without some discussion and some disagreement. But uh, Tom Vilsack 
who is currently serving as the executive director of the Dairy Export Council, is the new Secretary of Agriculture. And let's take a look at closing prices on commodities yesterday as we ended the week with a pretty good market for grains and livestock. For example, the March wheat contract ended with a gain of 20 and a quarter cents a bushel yesterday. The December corn contract ended with a gain of four and a half cents a bushel. And the January soybean market ended the day and the week yesterday up eight and a quarter cents a bushel. And in livestock futures yesterday, Chicago Mercantile Exchange, the December lean hog contract ended lower, but only by 15 cents a hundredweight. The December live cattle contract ended higher, up 80 cents a hundredweight. And the January feeder cattle contract ended up a dollar 87 cents a hundredweight. So that pretty well wraps what uh, happened in highlights of the agricultural world and community. And again, if you can join us on your TV set virtually, you can uh, join us for the Christmas concert at uh, Shepherd of the Prairie Lutheran Church in Huntley, Illinois. I'll be hosting the program and look forward to uh, joining you for a bit of Christmas this evening. That's our time here on the Saturday Morning Show. Thanks to Bob Ferguson for doing the engineering. Thanks to you for listening on the Saturday Morning Show.